Welcome back to the Get a Q podcast. My name is Brandon Hall. I'm pleased to be joined today by Takiru Nagayoshi. He is a New Bedford High School English and Research teacher and the current reigning Massachusetts Teacher of the Year for 2020. TK, welcome to the program. Thanks, Brandon. It's great to be here. Yeah. So uh, the Massachusetts Teacher of the Year program, tell me about that. What was that process like? How did you get how did you get selected? Yeah, um, so it's a pretty long process that starts with an application, uh, usually after a nomination that someone at your school building or a school leader might have. Uh, in my case, my headmaster nominated me, and uh, I always joke with her that I submitted my application at 11.59 p.m., uh, <laughs> and luckily it went through with Desi. Uh, and from there, they just kind of make you do a bunch of hoops and, and, and answer a bunch of questions. I think there was a uh, follow-up call interview, uh, a follow-up essay. Um, they m- make you answer uh, a dozen or so questions about your pedagogy, what you stand for as an educator, how you've been serving your community. Um, and they, from there, look at uh, you know how you interact with your students. So they come to your classroom and they have you reflect on a lesson that you do. Uh, they talk to your colleagues, they talk to you know school administrators to get a sense of how you operate in your school and what kind of connections you're making. Uh, and then from there, there's the, the semifinalist round and then the finalist round, each of which have their own uh, curveballs that they throw at you. I remember one of the more intimidating moments was when um, I went into a room and, and there was an entire group interview that they made me do. Uh, and by group, I mean the, the judges, the people who were interviewing me were a group. And, and, and it consisted of folks uh, who were past uh, teachers of the year, uh, one including the national teacher of the year, because Massachusetts uh, went to nationals a couple of years ago with 2017. Um, and uh, yeah, they would ask you questions about, you know, uh, policy related things. Uh, they would ask you questions related to um, your philosophy behind teaching. Um, and, and, and they're looking for all sorts of things, I guess. Uh, and then uh, the last round is uh, an interview with the commissioner. Um, and in my case, when, when I got to the commissioner and sort of gave my case and introduced who I am, and um, I think traditionally uh, what they do is wait a little bit and then get back to you. But I was so anxious and, and my, my palms are sweaty and uh, I really wanted to know on the spot. And, and, and the commissioner was nice enough to say, hey, uh, congratulations, you are the Massachusetts Teacher of the Year. We're not going to make you wait. Um, we just wanted to let you know right now. So that was a big uh, relief off my chest. Um, and, and, and we're announced in May, traditionally. And uh, because of the coronavirus this year, um, you know, we haven't been able to go through a lot of those processes. And so even though uh, by the time March came around, we have already selected our semifinalists for the 2021 Massachusetts Teacher of the Year, uh, we haven't really been able to figure out what that process is going to look like in a virtual setting. And so uh, it has been postponed and we haven't announced next year's Teacher of the Year uh, in May this year. And so um, I, I do have also the distinguished title of being the longest rating Teacher of the Year until we sort of figure that out. Um, and so I guess that's a silver lining in that uh, all of me, I, I, my other activities have been canceled for 2020. <laughs> so that, that's pretty cool, though. Uh, so as far as the process goes, what kinds of things are they looking for um, from a from a you know someone who who would be considered you know maybe a finalist? Um, what are some of the qualities that they're looking for? And now you're on a, you're you're a judge for it, as I suspect. Yeah, I think like 
you know, historically, when uh, it's, a, it's a long program that's been going on both nationally and at the state level, and they're looking for educators who can be uh, not the best per se, right? Like, I, I always want to counter when people say, congratulations, you're the best in your state. How does it feel like? I am not the best in any ways. I have a lot of room to grow, uh, a lot of learning to do. I'm still a young educator. I think um, what they're looking for is a standard bearer, right? A person who uh, can uh, understand uh, and align uh, their content, their teaching uh, to the academic expectations that, you know, the state and our district puts forth, uh, who can uh, connect what they do to uh, a broader vision for what they think is important in education. And so uh, other teachers of the year in the past have uh, had um, areas of advocacy, you know, these passion projects, uh, be it about social emotional learning um, or uh, community engagement and what it means to work with our parents. Uh, in my case, I uh, really was invested in a culturally responsive teaching, uh, anti-bias, anti-racist work. Uh, and, you know, as a teacher of color, uh, as an Asian uh, and also gay teacher, I, I think a lot about identity and the role uh, that things like race and gender uh, and who we are plays out uh, both curricularly um, in terms of content that we teach with our kids, but also in terms of who we are as a teacher and have made it a focal point to talk about things like uh, teacher diversity and advocate for uh, the greater representation of educators and students of color uh, in our academic spaces. And so uh, those were some of the sort of uh, visions uh, for leadership and, and advocacy work that I think uh, every teacher leader uh, should have. Um, and uh, they're looking, I think, for folks who can really uh, recognize the power that we as educators have um, as lived uh, experienced practitioners in the classroom who connect practice to theory. Um, and, and if you're able to uh, articulate that, uh, and if you're able to have, and if you have, right, the experience uh, and the evidence, right, and the output to show that connection, I think it makes for a very compelling case. Uh, and all, you know, state teachers of the year uh, are then in the running to become the national state teacher of the year. Um, and so uh, it's kind of like a big Miss America pageant, <laughs> um, but it's so wonderful. I got to meet so many incredible educators from across uh, the country, all advocating for uh, different um, issues related to equity, related to student support. Um, and, and, and it's a wonderful community to be a part of as well. And so uh, if there are folks who are listening who are interested about that process, definitely, definitely check it out. Uh, you can find it on uh, Desi's website uh, and you can also uh, feel free to contact me as well. So, so I guess, I mean, just being included in that conversation as one of the you know, potential national teachers of the year, I can't imagine the, what the conversations are like uh, amongst, you know, say the 50 or so of you. Um, what what kinds of things came out of that? Are you able to meet as a group or is it just sort of still compartmentalized as individuals? Yeah. So in February, they all convened us together. They flew us out to uh, the Google campus. And so uh, we had this that's wonderful- cool. First of all, that's, uh, co that's cool just in, a, in and of itself, right? It, oh my God, it was amazing. Uh, and it's actually like 54 teachers because uh, we have a department of uh, defense educators. We have educators from Puerto Rico, right? Uh, and some other American territories as well. And so 
Um, it, it, it's really such an incredible opportunity to talk with other educators who are passionate about the work that we need to do to make the landscape better, not just for our own kids in our own states, but really for the national landscape. And to be able to talk and share our ideas and our vision and uh, you know, we're teachers, so of course our craft and pedagogy when it comes to becoming educators as well. And, um, you know, when we were uh, at the Google headquarters, we got to listen uh, to incredible speakers um, and, and organizations from um, Khan, uh, who, who, who created uh, the Khan Academy. Uh, and and to uh, former National Teachers of the Year and what their experience was like. And they train us through um, what it means to engage with the media, uh, what it means to lead uh, with humility and by example, what it means to really call others in and to build a movement rather than to make the moment about us, which again, that's not what this uh, role is about. And so um, it, it, it was one of the most magical experiences that I've had. And uh, I know that I've made lifelong friends uh, that I still connect to with these days. Um, what has been unfortunate was that uh, that was my first <laughs> and last uh, 2020 Teacher of the Year event that I had, uh, because obviously after February, uh, March came around and we all know how the <laughs> world turned into after then. And so uh, I think, you know, traditionally, if this were a regular uh, non-pandemic year, I would have uh, gone to the White House and have learned uh, how to connect uh, my advocacy as a teacher leader to more policy legislative uh, ways and, and how to engage with public officials. Um, they would have sent us to, you know, uh, policy conferences in D.C., um, they would have sent us to the space camp, which was uh, oh man, super, yeah, something I was looking forward to in Huntsville, um, Alabama. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. And is it is that the one in Huntsville, Alabama? I remember like as a kid, like the Nickelodeon, yeah. right? You know, like it, <laughs> double it's, dare. It's the, it's the NASA one, right? I, yeah. I, I don't know what state it is off the top of my head, but I think yeah. Um, and so those uh, events, uh, there was going to be a conference in Princeton, for instance, and so like we didn't get to do those uh, physical. Uh, activities, um, you know, or gala. And, and so uh, I, I, I've definitely, for me, uh, I think the reckoning of, of what it means to be an educator during the pandemic was also a reckoning of uh, what it means to mourn the loss of these opportunities, but also um, be grateful really for, for, for what you have and who you are. And uh, when life hands you lemons, you have to think of a different way uh, to lead and a different way to engage. Um, and the different way to use your platform. And it's certainly been a curveball for, for all of us, um, but for me as a teacher of the year, um, a different type of curveball and uh, something that I, I've been very happy uh, about, I think, and proud about, I think, in, in terms of how I've been able to navigate it. Yeah. So I just kind of to shift gears a little bit and some of the advocacy work that you've done. Um, I, I think about, you know, what the difference between, say, your school and New Bedford High School um, being in, in an urban area and being much more diverse than, say, a place like where I am in Pembroke, which is a you know suburban rural school district uh, where the town is, like, say, 95% white. Uh, mm. How do we recruit? And I, I don't even know if recruit is the right word, but how do we how do we encourage more diverse candidates to come to uh, come into education, to, to share their life experiences, to share uh, the kinds of different experiences they've had um, and their knowledge with students. What, in what ways can we sort of cultivate that in Massachusetts and maybe across the country? Yeah. Yeah. 
I think uh, school leaders really need to make a conscientious effort um, and as part of their hiring and recruitment process, make sure that there is um, a, a, a protocol, a set of practices, a set of uh, objectives and mission statements that are guiding um, their commitment to diversifying their worker education. Uh, and a lot in times in policy spaces, uh, there's this tendency to look at things like teacher diversity as a, it's nice to have in theory, but if you look at our population here and the type of teacher candidates that we get, um, you know, it, it, it's not a must have, right? It, it, and so it sort of becomes this open door policy where they would like it, it if um, a diverse pool of applicants come, but we're not really going the extra mile to really figure out what those pathways can look like. Uh, and the reality is that there are a lot of pathways, right? Um, I work with uh, Desi through their Inspired Fellowship. I'm a senior fellow there, but our whole mandate is to um, leverage our educators of color, specifically in-service educators of color, to act as um, recruiters. And so we go to college campuses, we uh, talk to our own students, um, we uh, engage career changers of color, um, and uh, talk about the, the joys uh, and struggles, but really uh, need uh, for uh, being teachers and specifically teachers of colors into different communities. They're partnerships with a lot of education organizations, um, both local and statewide, uh, who have um, networks of teachers of color um, and, and uh, their collaborations with historically black uh, um, universities um, and affinity groups within uh, the universities uh, that you can have some kind of discussion around pipelines to uh, connecting, you know, uh, pre-service teachers and 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 in-class teachers, uh, and I think um, for me that mandate has been about starting that conversation early um, and uh, making sure that uh, our kids, especially our high school students, for whom I think. Uh, the desire to become teachers, the older they get, you know, a lot of elementary school students are, are super excited about being teachers, but there's something about going through the K-12 system where mm, yeah. uh, it becomes less cool and less sexy the older they get. And for me, um, my uh, big goal has been around trying to uh, reframe teaching as this exciting um you know, a creative outlet um, for students. And uh, I had to catch myself because I'm an AP teacher. A couple of years ago, I had to catch myself because uh, I realized uh, when my uh, top students told me that he was interested in becoming a teacher, my gut reaction uh, was to be like, well, why? <laughs> um, and, and I hated feeling that because it's the sort of same, I think, bias and uh, uh, self-censorship and self-put-down uh, that I think a lot of educators might have about our profession. Right, right. Um, and, and it was a moment where I thought to myself, well, if I'm not being unapologetic about the wonders and the beauty and the resilience and the strength and the intellect and grit that it takes to be an educator and actively not recruiting and pushing for my you know, best and brightest kids to become educators, then I'm doing um, my, my profession a disservice. And so uh, I, I, I really made a conscientious effort to start a future educators club uh, in New Bedford. Um, and, and specifically with the mandate of uh, recruiting homegrown teachers and students of color uh, and have them come back into our classroom. And, and a lot of these students uh, sort of get that um, broader mandate of, you know, it's not just about becoming a teacher, but also about addressing the diversity gap that exists in our state um, and making sure 
that, you know, the making sure that we have more educators of color because currently we have fewer than, you know, 10%. Right, right. And, and what better way than to take kids who are going through, you know, your program in New Bedford or, you know, wherever they may be and bring them back as alumni to then present them as teachers and say, yeah. I was I was here. I sat in that seat. I know the struggles. I know what it's like to go through what you're going right. through. I'm here now in front of you yeah. because of the things that I went through here, uh, both positive yeah. and negative. And Brendan, right? if, yeah. And if I can take a moment to like just say all of the research and the literature that's out there that supports um, why teachers of color and specifically like how you said homegrown educators who went through the school system has that additional impact. Right. Uh, we know uh, through evidence that uh, educators of color increase um, test scores, especially for students of color, uh, decrease graduation, uh, I mean, uh, increase graduation rates, decrease dropout rates, um, not just for students of color, but also white students as well. Uh, they're known to sort of enhance the climate and culture of our schools because um, they serve not only as a role model to other students of color, but can also help around conversations on what it means to have an inclusive uh, and welcoming school that's respective of all uh, um, um, perspectives. And, and, and that we know through research that they're more likely to advocate uh, uh, for uh, anti-racist pedagogy, advocate against racist practices that unintentionally exist in our school systems. And so the value add of educators of color are so strong. And, and I think it's important uh, that we start from having our administrators recognize that uh, making it and committing it as a priority that has some kind of protocol in their hiring and recruitment practices. And I'm glad you, you, you've you moved to this. Uh, you know, I want to talk about the anti-racist and anti-bias work that you've done. Uh, you know, obviously there's been a wave of change coming through the country here, um, you know, that that should have, <laughs> we can talk about how long ago it should have happened, but here we are, and here we are in the moment with the ability to make change, right? So we take on the responsibility of making change. And, and I think it's really important, in, especially in our classes, where, you know, as a former social studies teacher and you, you as an English teacher, in our, our humanities classes, we have this opportunity to really leverage our coursework uh, and talk about some of these things, you know, whether it's the literature that you're teaching or whether it's the, I, I was an AP government teacher to talk about, you know, sort of the, the, the processes of how change happens, whether it's through the law or through the court system. Um, but the kinds of things I think teachers going back right now are concerned about, right? Number one would be their health and safety mm. um, due to due to COVID-19. But the second thing they're thinking about is how do I include anti-racist and anti-bias curriculum materials in the thing or, or, or talk in the things that I that I'm currently doing and be able to take a take the chance, right? And and feel like they're they're doing their students a service, um, and B, how do they go out there and, and get support from their administrators? To say like, listen, there are going to be tough conversations that you're going to have. We support these tough conversations. Not everyone's going to be perfect. Um, how, how does that happen? And how how do you model that sort of in your classroom? It's a long question. Yeah. I apologize, but no, no, and 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 I think it's a it's it's a the answer is going to look different from what grade you teach, what kind of community you're in, and whether or not there's a, a level of comfort, not just among the student, and but also the school and, and the community members. Um, what content, right, that you, you sort of teach and whether or not it affords your ability to 
I guess, diversify the curriculum or be able to teach about these things through a historical lens. Uh, and so there's a multitude of factors that I think impact it. I think regardless of whether or not you teach at a private school or a Catholic school or a charter school, or regardless of whether you teach at an elementary school or high school teacher, there is a version of how this conversation can exist and look like. Um, and it's important that we seek out the communities that help us suss that out. Um, and another thing that I think that is important is that we understand how all of these things are um, a through line, right? Um, and uh, rather than looking at you know, these conversations in sort of a reactionary manner, which I think um, in response to the George Floyd protests, uh, a lot of us sort of came into this new reckoning that we had it done right by uh, teaching students uh, what it means to um, unpack sensitive topics around race and, and, and identity with our kids. Uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, we, we, we are being more proactive about it uh, and that there have been some kind of context and some kind of ways in which we encourage our kids to think about these topics um, in one shape and in, in one form or another um, throughout the course uh, of our time with them. Um, and for me, you know, as an English teacher, uh, just like how you said, as a humanities social studies teacher, I think my ability to do that was uh, a little easier only because I, get, I teach through text. And so um, in many ways, it has been around uh, diversifying the sort of voices that we hear, uh, the perspectives that we listen to, uh, and the ways in which we can compare them, right? Um, and, and so um, one caveat that I'd say to that is that uh, it's important that uh, we don't use, um, you know, let's say, uh, A Raisin in the Sun, uh, which is written by Lorraine Hansberry, a wonderful story about a Black family uh, struggling through uh, the difficulties of, of, of uh, homeownership in a racist society. Um, you know, it's easy, I think, to, to, to look at other uh, texts and to sort of tokenize them and say, hey, I checked my box of, 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 of a Black narrative, I'm done. Uh, and, and there's a danger, I think, in that and sort of totalizing the experiences of, of, of Black uh, life into one text, uh, which is a problem. And, and, and secondly, um, how we use it and how we teach it, right? Uh, and so uh, when I use A Race in the Sun, I, I compare it, contrast it to um, another play that was written around the same time, also about a family that is socioeconomically struggling, a death of a salesman. Um, and, and we try to isolate race as a factor amongst many other lenses through which we view uh, and interpret the text. Um, but it sort of uh, serves as an example to really examine um, not just the sort of racial elements that are, are, are central uh, to the play, but also as a broader conversation about the ways in which the race, for instance, uh, of a person might impact uh, one's ability to achieve the American dream. And so when we talk about these sort of diversity issues, um, I think a lot of teachers tend to center it around um, you know, let's just respect each other. It's an interpersonal thing. Let's not be uh, cruel to one another. Um, but uh, I, I would love for our educators to sort of take that step beyond and be able to connect it to these broader conversations and understand how um, there are uh, systemic issues and, and um, problems at play. And uh, our ability and I think uh, our students' ability to be able to navigate conversations around races is really contingent upon their awareness of, of how these sort of conversations on race play out at this this broader level. Yeah, um, and, yeah. We are, and we have a workshop coming up, right? Not, not to give the sales pitch here, but um, in two days, 
you're going to be presenting at the Better Together workshop, correct? Yes. So, uh, yeah. So, MassQ, MASCD, uh, the Mass School Library Association, WGBH, and PBS Learning Media are coming together to create this back to school event. Um, it's going to be a virtual event from 4:15 to 6:30 p.m. Uh, and educators are going to be sharing ideas and strategies to support the work of anti-racist education. And what a great, great opportunity to take advantage of, of the platform that we have um, and and get teachers sort of some pre-serviced. Um, I don't know if pre-service is the right word, but, but you know, before school starts, some professional development on um, you know pre-entry. Some, some, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so the uh, you know the re-entry is is going to be tough this year, and maybe some yeah. some strategies to work on that. And, and Brendan, if I can also speak to this event, I think what's wonderful about what's been happening with regards to our educator community and their response to anti-bias and anti-racist work is that they have been looking to each other as the resources. And, and I mentioned how the answer to what, you know, leaning in on anti-racist work in your classroom looks like is different for your context, is different for your grade. Uh, and so what better way to really collaborate with other educators in this state, facilitated by technology, um, to really process and unpack what that looks like? And, and so you mentioned WGBH is one of our sponsors. One of the things um, that uh, WGBH and I did was uh, host and, and launch an educator peer exchange series where our whole uh, goal is to sort of fill that gap uh, amongst educators in professional learning development um, and professional learning communities and make sure that we were creating spaces uh, for educators led by educators to really unpack these issues. And so we've had uh, talks on, uh, you know, remote learning and strategies around that uh, to what it means to unpack and discuss Black Lives Matter and the murder of George Floyd in our classroom with our students, what it means to be a white educator. Uh, and signal allyship um, and what unique responsibilities and obligations are there. Uh, and so, you know, to me, this whole MassQ uh, event that we're having, and by the time this ends, maybe it already happened, uh, is a great reflection of the community coming together and learning from each other. And when it comes to this kind of work, right, uh, anti-racist work in particular, it's not something that we can do on our own in silos. It's a social, reflective, cultural practice that you need to be doing it within communities. Um, and so one of my biggest recommendations is to find spaces like this, find events like this, to make sure that you're keeping up to date with these conversations amongst and with your peers. And I was hoping maybe you could give us a little bit of a preview of what you're planning on talking about. Um, so I am just one of the facilitators. Uh, Shay Martin is uh, our wonderful keynote speaker, incredible um, Black educator uh, and, and, and non-binary educator who can talk about the importance uh, of, of leaning in through who you are and questioning those aspects of, of teaching um, that we hold true. Uh, my session is, is a so in comparison to that is just, you know, a tiny little thing. <laughs> but uh, I, I want to share a did I checklist that I uh, think is uh, an interesting mental exercise for educators to kind of look at their activities, to look at their um, lesson and uh, sort of interrogate through uh, a, a variety of, of uh, points uh, that I think are relevant for um, educators to just consider before they have um, these conversations in their classroom. And so, uh, for instance, you know, when I first started teaching, it was really around uh, the Baltimore protests. And I, I, I knew that I wanted to unpack these with our students. 
Um, uh, but I, I, I was so unaware with uh, the sort of context that my students had about these situations and, and what uh, context I had as a college educated um, person uh, that there was a big disconnect. And so when I first taught, you know, uh, hey, here's what's happening in the media right now and let's, you know, unpack this together, I would throw words like, you know, hegemony and, you know, hegemonic <laughs> yeah, ideologies right. yeah. and systemic racism and the school to prison pipeline. And, and, a they, lot glo- of it just and they just gloss over. over. <laughs> head, right? I, I was yeah. scaffolding the poor yeah, appropriately. Yeah. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of other things that our educators need to think about. Do they have the right kind of culture and climate and relationship with their students? Have they anticipated the kind of pushback, right, that their kids uh, might give them, you know? Um, do they know uh, what student-friendly language uh, to use, uh, to, you know, depending on the grade or the context that they teach in? Um, how are they connecting it to some kind of skill or objective? You know, Brendan, you mentioned uh, how do we uh, address uh, the sort of pushback, right, or, or the sort of administrator um, concerns that might exist around what it means to have these sensitive conversations in our classroom. Uh, one of the answers that I have to that is, like, let's make sure uh, that when we have these conversations, it is always about uh, content. Uh, I'm sorry, it is it is always connected to skills, right? Uh, and, and, you know, we unfortunately live in such a world where these conversations are inherently politicized. Uh, but when I talk about race and racism in my classroom, it's not like I go on the soapbox um, and, and give my political you know, manifesto to kids. Uh, it's always grounded in, like, why don't we uh, look at the evidence uh, and analyze the language that's being used? Why don't we compare and contrast it to this different perspective? Why don't we you know, use this historical case study and apply its learnings to this other situation here, mm-hmm. yep. right? There's always ways um, and 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 uh, to 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 ground how we talk about this in our our our, our skills, and so you know m- my session hopefully allows us uh, to sort of unpack this did I checklist and and have these conversations uh, and frankly the challenges around what it means to to do this kind of work. Yeah, and and seeing what kinds of policies are going through. Um, at the local, state, and federal levels is, is interesting. And when I taught AP government, the, the kids at the beginning of the year would say, well, well, which party do you belong to, Mr. Hall? And I'd say, uh, at the end of this class, if you can't figure it out, you don't deserve to pass the AP exam. <laughs> <laughs> you should have known, yeah. <laughs> you should be able to figure it out by the end of the year. I'm not going to tell you, but you should be able to figure it out. But, um, you know, I, I think it's important to look at um, some of the, as you were saying, going through that literature and, you know, trying to tie it back and, um, what kind of cu- curriculum connections you can make and always basing it upon the skills. Um, it makes it such an easier process for us. And it's going to, it's going to take a while. And there are, um, sort of like-minded educators like ourselves. Uh, and then there are other people with any number of other things going on in their lives or, um, you know, they're behind quote unquote behind the times. Um, we see it with technology, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the, the last teacher to pick up Google drive, right. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to switch from the, the paper and pencil, issued you know system to you know moving something to digital and i think we'll see some of that too with um with some of this anti-racist and anti-bias work but it's important yeah. it's important to make sure that the students know that we care that we're talking about these issues um that the community knows that we care and we're talking about these issues and we we want um you know our ta- our cities our towns our communities to be better places mm-hmm. in the end 
And Brendan, and, and that and that I also hear like it's important that teachers give themselves some grace and space, right? We're all coming at this work at very different levels. And I think what's important is that we all feel um, that there is an importance there. But how that intervention um, how that work looks like is so different for each person. And, and, and I'm thinking about just myself, my first year, uh, and sort of the failures and blunders that I've had um, to just say, hey, it's okay if you have those mistakes. Um, uh, we're, we're all growing and learning. Uh, and B, like in, in response to some of those mistakes, I've had years where a lot of the ways in which I processed this material looked a little different. Maybe it wasn't this whole lesson that I had, Maybe it were one of those. The, maybe it centered more on those one-on-one -on -one conversations that I had with students when something problematic was said in the classroom, right? Maybe it was um, more about sharing myself and saying, "Hey, as a gay, uh, you know, person of color, here are the things that I've experienced, and so I know that this, you know, issue is happening right now in the news." Uh, I'm thinking, in particular, the Pulse a shooting that happened a couple of years ago, uh, it allowed me just by, you know, centering uh, my own identity to, to sort of give, um, to have a moment of vulnerability and to process as an adult what this current event that is happening means to me. Uh, and so again, like doing this kind of work doesn't always have to be like a, a well-structured lesson in a curriculum with an incredible and impeccable scope and sequence with clear objectives and common core aligned standards and you know it doesn't have to look like that especially because we're all coming at it from different ways right it can look like those simple uh moments uh, and the hope is is that because this is lifelong work we build on our toolkit and right. then we get to that place where we can create a curriculum we can create a whole philosophy around what it means to do this kind of work in our classroom with students yeah uh, an absolutely great conversation thank you so much tk for coming on the podcast massachusetts teacher of the year in 2020 we're still reigning massachusetts teacher of the year uh and new bedford high school english teacher tk nagayoshi thank you so much thank you so much for having me brandon all right and we'll be back thanks for listening be sure to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and anywhere podcasts can be found. This is the Get a Q podcast from MassQ, here to educate, connect, and inspire.